ಓಸುದೇವಸುತಂ ದೇವ ಕಂಸಚಾಡೋರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಗುಡ್ ಈವ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ಸೊ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಫೋರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ವರ್ ಆನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಫರ್ ಆಸ್ ಐ ರಿಮೆಂಬರ್ ಆನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ತರ್ಟಿ ಥ್ರೀ ವಿ ವರ್ ಡೂಯಿಂಗ್ ರಿಮೆಂಬರ್ ದಟ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ಡಿಸ್ಕ್ರೈಬ್ಡ್ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಪ್ರಾಕ್ಟಿಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಯಜ್ಞ ಇಯರ್ ಯೂಸ್ ದ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ಯಾಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅ ವೈದಿಕ್ ಫೈರ್ ಸ್ಯಾಕ್ರಿಫೈಸ್ ಬಟ್ ಟು ಡಿಸ್ಕ್ರೈಬ್ ಆಲ್ ಸಾರ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಪ್ರಾಕ್ಟಿಸಸ್ ನಾವು ಹಿ ಕನ್ಕ್ಲೂಡ್ಸ್ ದಟ್ ಸೆಕ್ಷನ್ ಇನ್ ದರ್ಟಿ ಥರ್ಡ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ತರ್ಟಿ ಥರ್ಡ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಶ್ರೇಯಾಂದ್ರಭ್ಯಮಯಾತ್ಯಜ್ಞಾತ್ಯಜ್ಞಾತ್ಪರಂತಪಿಲ ಪಾರ್ಥ ಜ್ಞಾನೇ ಪರಿಸಮಾಪ್ಯಸ್ ಥ್ರೂ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಇಸ್ ಸುಪೀರಿಯರ್ ಟು ಸ್ಯಾಕ್ರಿಫೈಸ್ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ವಿತ್ ಮೆಟೀರಿಯಲ್ಸ್ ಓಸ್ ಕಾರ್ಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ಫೋಸ್ ಆಲ್ ಆಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ದರ್ ಎಂಟೈರಿಟಿ ಆಫ್ ಪಾರ್ಥ ಆರ್ ಕಂಪ್ರೈಸ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಆ ರೈಟ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಹೀಸ್ ಮೇಕಿಂಗ್ ದ ಪಾಯಿಂಟ್ there the point of all of these spiritual practices is ultimately knowledge our whole problem is that we do not know the reality reality about ourselves reality about the world and that's the source of our problems shankaracharya's um, phrase avidya kama karma avidya means ignorance kama means desire karma means action this is the chain because we are ignorant of our nature what nature infinite ever fulfilled nature because of that we uh, we think we feel that we are not fulfilled we need things people activities uh, many things we our happiness is dependent on external circumstances and therefore we engage in actions incessant action endless action life lifetime after lifetime of action and the actions always have consequences and thus our the cycle of samsara goes around well that's not bad what's wrong with it what's wrong with it is suffering what's wrong with it is lack of fulfillment if it could give us happiness if it could make you happy make um make things we are looking for fulfillment if we got what we wanted then it would there would be a point to it but we don't get what we want so that's the problem and so the problem is uh, the solution is not to in the world outside not to keep changing things in the world outside through karma it is to uh, realize our true nature to realize our true nature we need knowledge gyana which will overcome agyana or another word is vidya knowledge which will overcome avidya ignorance so the knowledge yagya is the uh, highest the most superior yagya which is this knowledge yagya what are, what are we talking about remember 24th verse most well known favorite verse brahmaharpanam brahmahavi we always we have connected it nicely to food so we'll all remember this the advantage of remember of that we'll remember it that is the highest practice to see god in all actions in everything in all activities in every aspect of our lives so that is brahmaharpanam brahmahavi that is the highest and he says here krishna says to arjuna concluding this whole section 
Shreyan Drabhyamayat Yajyat Jnana Yajya Parantapa. Much better, superior, the highest is the knowledge yajya. Oh, Arjuna, the highest is knowledge yajya. Which knowledge yajya? Brahmarpanam Brahmahavi. Seeing Brahman in all activities. Seeing God in everything. Um, higher than what? Dravyamayat Yajyat. All the other practices we mentioned. I think we made a list of 12 practices. You know, vows of um, um, silence or vow of um, uh, austerities. Um, then sense control. Or then another one was whatever we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, we, we can uh, visualize it as a yajna, as an offering. Or control of food, fasting, um, or uh, pranayama and yoga, or meditation. All of that, all of that without exception, is inferior to the, uh, the jnana yajna, to knowledge. Knowledge is the point of all of that. This is an important thing to be noticed. All of these practices should culminate in knowledge. This is a relationship. All of these practices have their fulfillment in knowledge. What knowledge? Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. And this in that one infinite reality everywhere. That is the fulfillment of all of these practices. On the other hand, so if, if the question might be there, if that knowledge yajna is the supreme, is the highest, and that's the point, why not jump straight to that? Not possible. Not possible. It has to be built up uh, through all of these spiritual practices. They are necessary to perfect the instrument, to purify the instrument. Purity of the mind, chitta shuddhi. Concentration of the mind, chitta ekagrata. These are achieved through uh, all of those practices. Suppose you say, I have enough of that. Then you are fit for the, for the knowledge sacrifice. It will work for you. Uh, but there are very few, very rare, very few who are to, fit to begin with, you know. You come equipped for all of that. It's not that such people are not there, but they are few in number. Uh, what is normally the case, it is not that you come already purified and um, ready for enlightenment and immediately there's enlightenment. No, it's also not the reverse case. We should spend 10, 20, 30, 40 years uh, fasting and repeating a mantra, then only come to the Gita class uh, and entry for the Gita class. How many millions of times have you repeated a mantra? How many Ekadashi fasts have you done? How many pilgrimages have you gone? How many dips have you taken in the Ganga? Uh, show me your total your track record. Then only you'll be admitted to Gita class. It will never work that way. All of it has to go together. Our spiritual practices, at the core of which should be this Vedantic inquiry. Not just Bhagavad Gita. Gita, Upanishads, all of it. Vedantic inquiry designed to, to generate that knowledge, that flash of awareness, which will uh, liberate us. So the purpose of all spiritual practices, all these spiritual practices, Krishna calls Dravyamaya Yajna. Dravya means material. So the spiritual practices conducted with a variety of materials. Usually the, um, the Vedic fire sacrifice was conducted with materials. You had to have an altar, you had to have offerings, you had to have a fire, a priest. All of that was necessary. Money was necessary to conduct those things. So that's the paradigm Krishna is taking. But every other practice, all of these practices we can put under the label Karma Yoga. All our religious practices, all our secular practices must ultimately be streamlined, pointed towards enlightenment. That's the point of everything. Um, 
then he makes a very beautiful poetic grand statement sarvam karma khilam partha gyane parisamapyate very profound sentence oh arjuna he says after all everything that we do in life all our lives all our experiences culminate in in one thing only knowledge so swami vivekananda starts his karma yoga book with the first sentence says the point of all karma activity is not enjoyment in life the point is knowledge aurobindo says life itself is yoga you do it deliberately if you do spiritual practices deliberately you can call yourself i am a yogi i am a spiritual seeker if you don't do it you just live life you say i am just living my life but that living life is also yoga in the sense that ultimately it will lead us towards enlightenment the only difference is if we do it consciously deliberately wisely the path is shortened our lives even from right now onwards it will be blessed you will have strength peace sense of purpose and direction in life if we don't do it if we chase other things or simply float along on the stream of life then we'll be frustrated unhappy meaninglessness emptiness in life will be there but still life will teach us life itself will bring us to this so instead of waiting lifetime after lifetime we at one point the soul becomes mature enough the jivatma becomes mature enough the samskaras are ripe and we take up spiritual practice seriously It does not matter whether you are monk or householder whatever you are, you take up you come to spiritual life seriously seriously means i now begin to understand this is the point of life the rest of it is just playing around with toys we are reading in the gospel of sri ramakrishna sri ramakrishna talks about seeing um, hridaya's son i think a little boy 3 or 4 years old and sri ramakrishna is to play with him in in kamarpukur and the boy was playing all day with his toys and uh, then in the evening suddenly he says i don't want all of this i want to go to my mother and then sri ramakrishna tempts him with the toy he says i'll get, get i'll get a pigeon for you <laughs> he says i'll get a pigeon for you and the boy says no i want to go to my mother and starts weeping for mother now sri ramakrishna says tears came to my eyes seeing his state because of course not because sri ramakrishna wants to go to his mother his mother means uh kali the, uh, the goddess the ultimate reality of life that must be our spiritual attitude that must be our inner attitude it's time to go to mother and this is the path consciously deliberately every religion at the core has this spiritual path spirituality is the core of every religion we are all fortunate that way we have somewhere or the other understood this this grand statement by krishna wonderful statement really this is the one which shows the meaning of life itself sarvam karma khilam partha gyane parisamapyate all our activities in life whatever we have done in life our studies and play and uh, um, uh, marriage and children and jobs and um, misery and happiness and achievements and gradual decline old age disease death new life all of it has one point and one point only knowledge knowledge of what knowledge of the ultimate we are moving towards that reading page after page in the book of life each page is one lifetime we turn the page death and a new lifetime begins we are reading that and um, the purpose of all reading a book is always knowledge nothing else remains with us 
So where is this knowledge? I don't remember the knowledge of my past lives. Not that kind of knowledge. The soul has a deep learning. People ask that um, past lifetimes, if I don't remember anything, what's the point of past lifetimes? We are giving too much um, credit to our memory. Uh, you think just because you remember some, something that makes it worthwhile, not at all. How much do you remember of your own life? Very little. How much do you remember of your childhood, of your babyhood, of the months after your birth? Nothing. Virtually nothing, let alone past lives. Now, notice, I may have made mistakes. I remember it all. Does it prevent me from committing mistakes? Not necessarily. I will not commit mistakes only when I learn it in my samskaras. What made me commit a mistake in the first place? Um, desire, either fear or temptation. Until that is overcome, no amount of memory will help. People have full memory and keep on repeating same mistake. People have no memory of past life, but good samskaras have come from past life. No desire at all is there to commit those mistakes. So what is important is not memory, not remembering past lives. But the samskaras, the sum total of learning we bring away from past lives, that's important. That's what guides a person. That's what makes our personality what it is. That's not what makes you. You are the Atman. But our personality is made by that. All the complexities, good and bad points, our personality is our samskaras. Where have they come from? They are deep learning, the deepest possible learning. They are the some real things. And that changes. Our spiritual practice works at the level of samskaras. It changes our personality at the deepest level possible. All these practices. And he says, the purpose of all practices, of course, here he means all the spiritual practices, the purpose is knowledge. But in a deeper sense, all things in life, the purpose is ultimately knowledge. Very beautiful verse. Sarvam karma khilam partha jnane parisamapyate. It is poignant in a sense. It is, it is poignant because it is also sad. Um, because there is a kind of sorrow involved in it, because there is nothing else in that we will take away from our lives. Not your money, not your degrees, not your children, um, not your house, nothing. They will be gone forever. Only the ex bundle of experiences we have had in this life, that's all we will take away. That's all. Not even memories. Memories also will go away. So, sarvam karma kilam partha jnane parisamapyate. What a grand statement. So ultimately, Jnana Yajna, the Vedantic knowledge of, of who we are, that is the point of all of this. So now Sri Krishna comes to the point. In the 34th verse, 34th verse, he will tell us. So how do we get this knowledge? We'll come to the knowledge and teacher now, 34th verse. Tadviddhi pariprashnen, tadviddhi pranipatena, pariprashnena sevaya. Upadekshyantite jnanam jnani Another important verse. Acquire that through salutation, inquiry and service. The wise who are knowers of the truth will instruct you in wisdom. Tadviddhi. Realize that. Pranipatena. Um, by saluting. Pariprasnena. By questioning, inquiring. Seva. By service. To whom? to the enlightened masters. Approach the enlightened masters. Salute them. Take refuge in them. Question them. Learn this knowledge from them and serve them. Upadekshyanti. They will teach you. They will teach you. This knowledge you will get, get from them. Te jnanam jnanina tattva darshina. 
So one point here is this knowledge we are seeking, where will it come from? Every knowledge comes from a source of knowledge. So one source of knowledge, the first source of knowledge we have our senses. You see and uh, you hear and smell, taste, touch. And we all know when we start Vedanta, we all know that the thing we are seeking, our reality, uh, it can't, can't be seen. You can't see it with these eyes. You can't hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. So sense organs are out of the question. In fact, um, all the usual sources of knowledge we have in, for our material world, for the external world, they don't work here. They won't reveal it. If they could, they would have. There would have been no need of uh, religion or spirituality. Um, you know, Vedanta talks about six sources of knowledge. There is Pratyaksha, Anumana. Pratyaksha means sense perception. Seeing, hearing, spelling, tasting, touching. Anumana, inference. Inference is basically how science works. You know, gathering data and making hypothesis and checking the hypothesis. Inference. Common sense, logic, all of it falls under inference. And then there is upam. There are some uh, methods of knowledge which I will not explain. It, it can the whole book is necessary for that. And in fact, there are books on that. This is Vedantic epistemology, upamana by analog analogical reasoning. And then there is uh, artapatti by implication or uh, yeah implication. And then there is uh, anupalabdhi, um, knowledge by absence. And then finally, there is uh, Shruti, uh, which is the revealed scripture or the, or the, the knowledge of the Upanishads, which reveals to us the reality of ourself. So what is the source of knowledge from which we can get this knowledge, which Krishna is talking about? And that is the Upanishads. What are the Upanishads? As Swami Vivekananda said, they are the collected realizations of enlightened beings. The rishis who have realized these things have transmitted it down to us. Very specifically, they are the books found in the uh, Vedas. Scattered throughout the Vedas, you find the final teachings of the Vedas, the highest spiritual philosophical teachings. This highest truth is found in all religions. But the advantage of Vedanta is, I think, to my mind, twofold. One is, it is the first to discover. It's the oldest one among all the religious living religious traditions in the world today. It comes from the Vedas. Um, the second one is, this knowledge is most highly developed in um, the Upanishadic tradition, which is the Vedantic tradition. Why do I say that? This core of knowledge is available in all, all, all uh, religious traditions. There are Christian mystics who have realized it. You just have to read Meister Eckhart to see how non-dualistic he is. There are Sufi mystics who have realized it. Um, you, somebody wrote to me, uh, quoting a Sufi mystic. Swami, did this mystic ever read um, Gaudapada? You don't have, doesn't have to <laughs> read Gaudapada. The Sufis have this knowledge. It, it is there. It is there in Taoism. It is there in, um, definitely there in Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, for example. In fact, next to Advaita Vedanta, I will say the non-dual knowledge is most developed in Tibetan Buddhism. But apart from Advaita Vedanta and Tibetan Buddhism, in all other religions, in, his, um, uh, in Judaism, in the Kabbalah, the, these things are there. In all other religions, uh, the two problems which I see, frankly, if I may say so, is that, uh, first of all, this is not central. It has often been marginalized, persecuted, ignored, um, shoved to the margins, or um, considered esoteric, maybe only for a few, or simply, um, you know, uh, discarded. This knowledge that you are Brahman, you, are, you and the ultimate are one. 
that this is the purpose of religion this has been uh, ignored or marginalized in many religions even persecuted people who said this had been killed actually whereas in vedanta it is central in um, certain mahayana traditions in buddhism tibetan buddhism especially it is central the second thing is more important for us very clearly it is developed in the sense that you see as we will study and we are studying in vedanta step by step in easy baby steps we are led very clearly to this realization the highest realization am brahmasmi you see even a introductory text like vedanta sara which we are studying in our vedanta sara class that takes you from the basics to the highest knowledge and there are so many many such texts this kind of systematic development you don't find in these other religious traditions for example to the extent that i know sufism it's very beautiful and the highest truth is given there but how how will you realize and another uh, important point is it is rationally established and defended in advaita vedanta if you go to a sufi master the same knowledge he will give you but if you logically challenge show me by reason and logic which can be appeal to a modern philosopher also no nothing there's nothing there because that's a mystical path so many of these paths in islam or christianity which can lead you to the highest knowledge it's there but they are bhakti paths or mystical paths expressed in the language of poetry and love which is very beautiful but does not at all stand the challenge of um, logic and, and reason and there is no step by step way of attaining that once you attain to an even an understanding even intellectually if you understand advaita vedanta you immediately can understand the highest truths of sufism or christian mysticism probably better than people in their own tradition can you understand them very clearly um one uh, rabbis I, i was talking to a very learned rabbi he had visited india I was talking with him and i said something about um, about a central truth of judaism and then i said of course i don't want to sound patronizing um, but it's just our take our understanding of uh, what what is there in your scripture and then he said something interesting he said no it could very well be that your understanding might actually be a better and a superior understanding than our understanding if you're coming from a, a much higher uh, perspective a more developed philosophical uh, system You, you may actually understand these truths better than we do who knows so that's that um so where do we get this knowledge from the upanishadic tradition from the upanishadic tradition we get this knowledge and uh, uh, for that if it's a teaching to it's, it's a knowledge tradition the role of the teacher is very important who will transmit it is upanishad so can i borrow the book from the library and read it and become enlightened no you can't it won't work why not because it's a very subtle kind of thing even to learn difficult subjects you need teachers in this world you learn to learn advanced physics you need a teacher you need a course uh, you need a structure um, so brahma vidya the knowledge of brahman you need a teacher a guru so you need to approach a teacher uh, who will transmit this knowledge and there is an unbroken broken lineage of teachers lineage of teachers is very important this is called parampara so that's why not only in advaita vedanta in most eastern traditions and in fact the core mystical traditions in judaism and islam there is always this idea of teachers the whole idea of the catholic church is that it's an unbroken descent of power 
from Jesus Christ through the church. That's the idea behind the, the, you know, the lineage of popes in the, in the Catholic church. Similarly, parampara or sampradaya, it, it's very important in um, spirituality. Not only Vedanta, all of Eastern spirituality, basically. So this teaching, especially in Vedanta, so this teaching has been handed down from teacher to student since, since time immemorial. And you need to find a teacher and learn it from that, from the teacher. Uh, then it's it's uh, it can work then. A couple of points. Teachers are of various kinds. So guru, in our tradition, the way we look at it, guru is the highest. But in our tradition, guru is the one who gives mantra diksha. That's a different thing. That's um, your direct connection with God. It's a spiritual practice, a mystical practice. So the guru will, is a diksha guru. The mantra diksha will be given by a guru who gives you a mantra and tells you this is the form of God in which you have to worship, how to meditate. This is the mantra you have to repeat. And then you have to practice it. That does a huge amount of work. It purifies the mind, concentrates the mind, makes it absolutely ready. But that's not the kind of teacher he is talking about here. What he is talking about here is a different kind of teacher, which is, um, which is an acharya. So that's the kind of role that, for example, teachers like me, teachers like me, we play that role. That here is this mass of knowledge we interpret and teach and pass it on. Who is higher, Guru or Acharya? Guru is much higher. Guru, as I said, is your direct connection. The one who gives you Mantra Diksha, uh, Ishta Mantra, is your Guru. If you say, who is my Guru? I learned Vedanta from Sarva Priyananda and I have taken um, my Mantra from XYZ Ananda. Who is my Guru? That one is your Guru. I am not a Guru. I am uh, an Acharya who transmits this knowledge to you. But it's very important. But ultimately, the purpose of all spiritual practices is this uh, realization of this knowledge. Of course, the two can be one. The, the guru can initiate you into a mantra and also teach you all this. And there, there are a number of such gurus also uh, who can do both. Mm. Okay, what else did I want to say? About the guru. Who is the guru? Uh, he says... So Gyanina Tattva Darshina, Shankaracharya makes a comment about the Guru here. The ones who know the tradition. And Tattva Darshi means the ones who see the truth. So ones who are enlightened. Ultimately, it would be best if you got this teaching from a, um, an enlightened master who has actually seen the truth, for whom Aham Brahmasmi is a reality. And then that person can transmit it to you most powerfully. That is uh, best. But that's rare. How do we know who's realized? So it's better to, uh, the second best thing you can do, the Upanishads say, what are the qualifications? What should you look for in a guru? Um, in Vedanta, but also in general, anywhere, in any tradition, it also applies. What are the qualifications? Threefold qualifications. Um, the Shrotriya, Akamahata, Brahmanishta. So first of all, uh, Brahmanishta. Brahmanishta means established or dedicated to Brahman. What does that mean? Does it mean Jivan Mukta, realized person? Uh, best if that is so, but that is not what is meant because that nobody can guarantee. Uh, how, how would you know? But Brahmanishta literally means dedicated to Brahman, not a part-time spiritual teacher. 
not just a university professor. A university professor could also be a Brahmanishta. There's no doubt. There were, were traditions of pandits in our traditional pandits in our uh, uh, in in India who were actually Brahmanishtas, and they were scholars, and they were also householders. But uh, this uh, person who is dedicated to Brahman, the whole point of his or her life is that uh, God realization and um, it's a full-time engagement, completely centered in God, you might say. So such a person, that's, that's number one. Isn't that enough? No, that might be enough for that person. So someone like say Latu Maharaj, for example, Latu Maharaj, of course, Advutanji, he was an enlightened person. But notice, that what is the difference between Latu Maharaj and Swami Vivekananda? Did, um, so both of them were enlightened. Did Swami Vivekananda's enlightenment, was it a superior grade, uh, upgraded enlightenment, version, higher version, and Advutanandaji uh, lesser? No, it is same realization, same Brahman, not a superior Brahman. Same realization is there, but uh, the difference is that Swami Vivekananda has all these extra qualifications, which, which make him a better communicator of the truth. There's a saying, it is not enough to get a good idea, but you must get an idea from, it's equally important to get an idea from point A to point B. I remember when we entered our MBA course as kids, I mean, as, as students long time ago, we had a course on communications. And of course, um, we were all interested in marketing and finance and systems. We thought communications, uh, what's the point of it? The professor who taught us was a Jesuit priest. I still remember Father Freddie. And he said, he was, a, he, was very, he was a very dramatic teacher. And he said, over the years of your life, you will learn the one thing which is most important in your life is communication. How do you communicate with others? And even more important, how do you communicate with yourself? <laughs> and he said, that's what you learn. All these other things you can learn in life, they'll be useful, most important in your life, in your personal life, your family life, in your professional life is communication. How to get one idea from point A to point B. Um, so, not only Brahmanishta, but Shrotriya, a master of tradition, a master of the tradition. Which tradition? The tradition into which you are entering. So, the, the person must have mastered the, so for example, in Vedanta, must have mastered the Advaita Vedanta tradition, must know uh, the so when he's going to teach Upanishads, must have studied Upanishads systematically, must have studied Brahma Sutra systematically. Not only that, must be empowered, must be initiated and empowered. He says, Swami, now tell us, now you are in trouble. You talked about this, please tell us about your lineage and tradition and, and your empowerment and initiation. So I am initiated by Swami Bhuteshanandaji Maharaj, who was the 12th president of our order. Then I was initiated into Brahmacharya, the vows of uh, a, a monastic novice by Swami Ranganathanji Maharaj, the 13th president of our order. And finally into the vows of sannyasa, monasticism in, in our uh, monastic order by Swami Ranganathanji Maharaj. And this monastic order traces its way back through Sri Ramakrishna and to his guru Totapuri, back to Shankaracharya, through Shankaracharya, back to Gaudapada and back to the uh, rishis of the Upanishads. So it's an unbroken line of uh, teaching. So we, you can see traditionally which order, which matha, which amnaya, these are the, the, you know, the things which we belong to. So you can check. This is the credentials of this person. And as a monk, 
uh, of the um, uh, 10 orders of non-dualistic monks as uh, uh, an acharya for monastic novices, this person is has some credentials to teach. So this is the Shrotriya, versed or Shruti, versed in the Shrutis, versed in the scriptural tradition, therefore can communicate. Then the third one is also important, Akamahata, literally means not damaged, destroyed or distorted by desire. Has the teacher got some other desire? Leader of a cult, wants to make a million bucks, wants to fight an election and get all your votes? No. Uh, is not power seeking, is not wealth seeking, is not fame seeking. The only thing that person should get out of the whole process is the person should be able to transmit this knowledge and the happiness of the person is that students learn and get spiritually benefited and ultimately enlightened. That's the only thing, only motive allowable for the teacher. Nothing else. So, akamahata, literally not, not damaged by desire or distorted by desire. Uh, Shrotriya, well-versed in the tradition which is supposed to be transmitted. Why is the tradition to be transmitted? Remember, because it is, cannot, this knowledge can, cannot be acquired by any other source, only from the uh, texts which embody the realizations of past masters. Why do we need this knowledge at all? Because ignorance is our, the, is the, is, has to be removed. Why does ignorance have to be removed? Because we are suffering. That is the root of our suffering. This is the connection. Let me just quickly go through this verse. Tadviddhi. Um, realize that, know that. Pranipatena. By salutation. Shankaracharya actually uh, says that. Even gives an instruction. How to salute the master. You must fall flat on the ground. Stick straight. <laughs> with uh, hands extended. In fact, why don't I read the. I've, I've got the commentary of Shankaracharya here. So it's very nice to read the original text. Uh, 1400 years ago, written by Adi Shankaracharya. He's commenting on this verse. Tadviddhi, vijani, know this, realize this. Yena vidhina prapyate. By what way can we get this knowledge? Acharya, navigamya, approach the teacher, the master. So notice, he uses actually uses the word acharya here. Approach the acharya. Um, Prakarshan, then Pranipatena, he says about salutation. Prakarshena nichaihi patanam pranipataha dirga namaskaraha. <laughs> Give a long, nice bow to the Acharya, bow down, fall flat on the ground and then bow down to the Acharya. Not for his sake, not that the Acharya will be pleased with you. That's a good pranam. So I can teach this, this fellow. No, it is to create the proper mental attitude in, in ourselves. Then... Um, then ask the questions. He says, Pariprashna, ask questions. From where, where has this bondage come? What is the nature of this bondage? Katham moksha, how shall I be free, be free of samsara? Kavidya, what is knowledge? Kachavidya, and what is ignorance? Iti Pariprashna. Ask these questions. And then what, what should you do? Sevaya, Guru Shushushaya. Guru Shushusha means. Um, seva of the Guru or the Acharya. Um, so it could be normally to seen as physical Seva because in those days students used to go and stay with the, uh, with the teacher in the ashram. So it could be like all kinds of work done in the ashram. You clean and sweep and make uh, maybe flower garlands for the shrine and uh, cook 
and um, and serve the guru but that is the inferior kind of seva the higher kind of seva is not the physical service to the guru the highest kind of seva is actually to follow the gurus or the, the acharyas instructions all acharyas or gurus will say if you ask what do you want me to do then follow what i say follow what the teachings are saying and uh, what you do physically uh, or financially for the acharya that is secondary main thing is to practice uh, is to realize these truths so that is the service to the acharya another reason why this service was stressed it was not really for the acharya selfish uh, gain was that this is also a very very good form of karma yoga so the, if especially if the student stays with the acharya like we as brahmacharis we stay in the ashram so we don't have work like arjuna has work responsibilities duties which can be spiritualized and converted into into karma yoga but we don't have that i'm staying in an ashram my food is taken care of my clothes are taken care of my daily routine so all of that um, is taken care of then what do i do in my day to day life where will my karma yoga be so work is introduced work is introduced taking care of the ashram and in ramakrishna mission a lot of work is introduced schools colleges hospitals um, it could be the temple itself it could be serving the poor all of that has to be taken uh, as karma yoga and it's very important uh, for as far as running the ashram no it's actually important for my own spiritual development without that no spiritual growth is possible no enlightenment is possible there is a funny story in uttarakhand of a young man who comes to an ashram i want enlightenment he goes to the guru give me enlightenment and the guru says tattvamasi that thou art and the young man says yeah, yeah i read it i know i read it it's in that upanishad chandogya upanishad and now these are the other things i have read and the guru says hmm i understand the problem send him to the cow shed goshala let him go, go and clean the cow shed and the poor fellow was sent up to cow shed and it was hard work dirty work smelly work he had never done such so i had never been in such trouble oh my god what have i gotten myself into and days passed and weeks passed and he asked when will the guru call me to give me enlightenment he says wait wait he'll call you finally he was eager to he was ready to give up everything and run away fine uh, so when the guru heard about this said, call him tomorrow and tell him to take a bath <laughs> and next morning so he goes to the guru and he says uh, the guru says tatvamasi that thou art and this young man is silent and you know he, the understanding dawns upon him what happened in the meantime the purification of the mind happened uh, the calming down the personality becomes satvik so that is the pur- purpose of sevaya by service upadekshyanti they will teach you how will they teach you shravana manana nidhyasana we know uh, by systematic by by Uh, hearing hearing means systematically studying vedanta uh, and you know the texts of vedanta there will be introductory texts like vedanta sara followed by upanishads um, uh, bhagavad gita brahma sutras and many other prakarana granthas introductory texts and then you have to think about it reason it out and make get clarity about it then meditate upon it along with all the other yagyas which are going on you know you're repeating mantra japa meditation uh, puja service to humanity and taking care of the ashram you are kept busy in your spiritual routine gyanam gyanina tattvadarshi tattvadarshina so 
So Shankaracharya makes it clear that some they know the tradition, but they not may not be enlightened. If it comes from an enlightened person, Shankaracharya says that if it this teaching if it comes from an enlightened person, it is much more effective. Actually, literally uses the word effective here. You know, he says, "Ye samyak darshana." Those who have full realization, taihi upadishtam gyanam. Taught by such people, the knowledge being taught by such people, karyakshamam bhavati, naitarat. It becomes effective. Effective means it leads to enlightenment. Questions are important. He says clearly, go to the masters and question them. And question should be Shankaracharya makes it clear. Question should be spiritual question. Otherwise, I have seen in the Ramakrishna order we have so many in India. Here at least I get so many Vedantic questions. But in India we have so many other activities: schools, colleges, hospitals. So when um, people come to us with questions, the questions are usually not about what is bondage and what is liberation. How will I get knowledge? How will I get enlightenment? No. How can I get my son admitted to your school? Or it could be uh, where are, where can we get prasad? Where is the food being distributed? Uh, and and so on. I remember once there was a series of talks, and the monastic novices, brahmacharis, were there. I was also there. I was a junior acharya. and the senior monks were giving talks on vedanta and the brahmacharis were asking good questions on vedanta and i was thinking sort so of nobody is coming to me with a vedantic question so suddenly one brahmachari came up swami i have a question for you this was after the talks i thought ah finally somebody has come to me with a vedantic question now they knew that uh, i liked aeroplanes and so this brahmachari is asking so swami how does that aeroplane fly I thought, oh no! I thought you were going to ask me about Brahman and Maya and enlightenment. So they didn't think I was capable of giving answers to such such questions. So the only thing they could think of was, how does that aeroplane fly? Yes. So Shankaracharya is very clear. Ask spiritual questions. It is true. If you go, if you go to ashrams in India, even the monks in the Himalayas, so many people come. Questions. their questions their requests are not at all spiritual they want a little blessing so that some things go well in their family life um please bless us swami ji let son or daughter's marriage uh, education first uh, education let let that fellow get through a good good institute and then he'll come let him get a good job him or her get a good job and after that after ne- next year he'll come the next question will be uh, we are worried about the marriage of the son or daughter and then it will be what about grandchildren where is the vedantic question no vedantic question that is what krishna is saying and shankaracharya makes it clear ask who am i what is the purpose of life what is the goal of life i'm not saying you are like that you have you all got vedantic questions i think the chat is full of vedantic questions now um let me look at the activity in the chat before we go to the next oh one more thing i want to say about this verse you know when i first came across this verse i had i had not fully read the gita even by that time i had just joined the order uh, in our ashram in deoghar there used to be this japanese monk very interesting character he he was a sanyasi and i was just a new brahmachari but he was extraordinarily good at woodwork so on wood he would carve out um verses in sanskrit devanagari letters and they would be decorated with flowers and creepers and leaves very intricately done you could see the individual you know capillaries in the flowers and in the leaves and all 
So, so well done. And he had a workshop where he would do that. So he did this verse. Tadviddhi pranipate na paripash. Because it was a school for kids. So he thought this verse is very, um, very uh, appropriate. Um, realize the truth. Approach the masters. Bow down to them. Serve them. Ask them questions. They will teach you these um, knowers of truth. So he, he, he drew it. I mean, he, he carved it out. I still remember. He said, come and see, come and see. And he had this amazing thing about, he would start praising his own work himself before he could say anything. So they were, you had no choice but to admire it. And he said, look, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it extraordinary? I have to say, yes, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, it was good. Even now, I think in Devgar school, if you enter the school building, that carving is there in the front. Very beautifully done. Huge board with this verse carved out in wood with flowers, creepers, and very nice artwork. Now let me look at the questions. Um, Bill is asking, couldn't the word knowledge also refer to the direct realization of the divine? It does. But first it refers to the teaching. The direct realization cannot be handed over directly by the masters, unless it's someone like Sri Ramakrishna who can touch you and you, you become enlightened. But there also you have to be someone like Vivekananda. But otherwise it's the, it's the teaching. Yeah. Which is the teaching is transferred. If you want. I'll put it on pause. What happened? Yes. So it is transmitted. The teaching has to be transmitted. The Upanishads are transmitted. Vedanta is transmitted. So that's what's meant by knowledge here. Ultimately, of course, it should culminate in realization. One Buddhist teacher put it well. The Buddha is the doctor. But the Dhamma which the Buddha teaches is the medicine. What cures you? Vaccine will cure you. Or vaccine will protect you. Medicine will cure you. Not the doctor directly. But the doctor can tell you what vaccine to take, what medicine to take. Yeah. So the teacher will give it, give the medicine to you. But the medicine itself is the teaching which leads to uh, release from samsara. Gabriel says, even the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself. So addition to knowledge, isn't it all about love as well? Yes, that's true. But um, the thing is, why is this knowledge necessary? Just say, love everybody, be compassionate, be nice to everybody. For that, you don't need all of this. You don't need uh, endless uh, you know, meditation and breathing techniques and uh, monks and nuns. And if you just have to love and be nice to each other, be kind to each other. I know that's the kind of spirituality which uh, or that kind of... Uh, New age thinking, it's, it's the age effect of new age thinking that be nice, be compassionate, everything will be all right. It won't It'll lead from misery to misery. It doesn't work that way. Ultimately, there's a root problem to all of this. But isn't it all about love ultimately? In an ultimate sense, yes, because once you become enlightened, once the truth is re revealed to you, you will become all loving. So love is very deep, actually. Compassion and love are very, very deep spiritual qualities. Uh, they are the manifestations of the truth. But you must realize the truth. That's why the truth is, is stressed. Even the Bible, you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It does not say be nice and being nice sets you free. Mm. 
it's important to be nice it's important to be loving if i am cruel if i am complicated if i am devious deceptive no spirituality is possible you have to be a good person uh, character is necessary uh, good good conduct uh, and good relations with others and being nice to others is necessary without that you cannot be spiritual but that's not at all enough um what about isn't bhakti all about love yes but bhakti is about love for the divine it must start there and shankaracharya defines bhakti as an intense seeking of this of uh, true nature of the self swaswarup anusandhanam then punita ji asks what about those who don't have a formal diksha um, who is my guru uh, if you feel the need for a formal diksha you should take it that is my recommendation is ask what is the spiritual path as i outline again and again take formal diksha if you ask me is it necessary not not absolutely necessary but if you are asking for my advice take formal diksha and you can take it in our order also there are number of swamis who give mantra diksha take formal diksha practice as taught by the the, the teacher convert your activities your religious rituals and your secular activities into karma yoga and concentrate on this vedanta teaching that is spiritual life if you ask me so isn't this vedanta itself enough with so unsupported by anything else it's not enough in most cases but it's not true that it's unsupported by in, in many cases in most of most of the people here as far as i can see many of you are initiated you have taken mantra diksha even if you have not taken mantra diksha many of you are practicing other spiritual uh, practices apart from just attending classes so those things are there in your life uh, if not they should be there and then the next question is gabriel asking i don't have a guru and don't feel the need for one either i'm perfectly happy with just having you well thank you very much i've learned so much in the past few years yes but at one point if you do feel the need that uh, as uh, somebody who from whom i get a mantra and something to practice morning and evening to keep my mind there it's a very good thing to have again absolutely essential no i cannot say that there are people who can do well without it there are people who have got the mantra who don't go, go anywhere near higher spirituality at all um is it important to understand the lineage of credentials of raja yoga teachers too should belong to some kind of um, ashram or teaching lineage which has some credibility otherwise just um, somebody off the streets may claim extraordinary attainments and knowledge and might be true also but how do you know unless it belongs to some lineage at least in our case there is a particular lineage in other ashrams also other their teaching lineages so that gives you a a stamp of quality that i don't know much about this one particular person but there's enough recorded about this particular tradition going back centuries if not millennia so many many people throughout the centuries have attained enlightenment and if i follow this tradition i too will attain enlightenment and also if i'm not in touch with this particular teacher i can be in touch with other teachers of the same tradition tradition is always available books are always available of this uh, tradition 
completely out of any tradition by oneself it is dicey it is generally discouraged shankaracharya is very harsh asampradayavit murkhavad upekshana sarva shastra vidopi murkhavad upekshaniya a person who does not belong does not know the sampradaya the lineage is not part of the lineage has not is not learned in the traditional lineage even if that person has read all the books in the library sarva shastra vidopi then he uses very harsh terms murkhavad upekshaniya should be ignored like you would ignore a fool so as far as your personal spiritual life is concerned there are many wonderful um, intellectuals writers whom i also personally enjoy but would i follow them personally in the, in my my own spiritual life not at all <laughs> not for one inch then i also believe karma yoga is not possible without love knowledge and love for humanity have to go on hand in hand yes knowledge and love for humankind have to go hand in hand more precisely uh, precisely knowledge and love for the divine through humanity in general knowledge and love for, uh, for love for humanity is a vague term um if you have love for the divine in humanity god in all human beings in all living beings it should be focused that way then thakur was very unbiased he learned from many spiritual masters but why does lineage come from totapuri our lineage comes from totapuri thakur learned from many remember thakur was an avatar and specially an avatar of dharma samanvay the harmony of religions so he was extraordinary in that way that many lineages flowed through him he had a tantric lineage he had a vaishnava lineage uh, he had obviously a shakta lineage he was initiated first of all by uh, a, a, a pandit who gave him a kali mantra he had a ramachandra lineage through his own family and a vedantic lineage through totapuri he learned uh, islam he learned christianity sufi islam he learned christianity and practiced them so he belonged to all of these lineages and all of these lineages flowed through him but he was an avatar incarnation then the question is why only totapuri lineage are you talking about i'm talking about us about me in particular but us us means the ramakrishna mission monks so professor of duke university Uh, once uh, she was writing a book on south asian religion and she asked me why do you ramakrishna mission monks keep stressing vedanta advaita vedanta so much sri ramakrishna was a vaishnava he was a tantric so why not all of those things i said well first of all are we stressing it too much there's always a debate among our, our monks that uh, one group of monks would say we are not stressing it enough it should be more stressed the advaitic aspect and others say of course you know, you're stressing it too much but why why do you do this because we are advaitins aren't you advaitins also dualists also tantrics also no 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 not at all let us be very clear about it we are non dualists in the tradition of shankaracharya how so and why so um, why so because this is what was this was the direction in which sri ramakrishna pushed vivekananda and this is the way vivekananda set us up technically if you i can't tell you the details but if you look at the mantras of our sanyasa the vows which we taken at the, at the point of monasticism when we were initiated into monasticism by our gurus i was initiated by swami rangananathan ji those core texts some of which are not revealed i mean they are not available publicly they are just meant for monks and in fact there is one core text if that is 
told by the guru to the disciple and now i'm on on the verge of uh, <laughs> uh, of going into forbidden territory in the uttarakhand in the high himalayas there are simple villagers who really believe that if you hear that text you have to become a monk immediately you, you cannot remain as a householder any anymore uh, anymore after that you have to give up so they'll be terrified don't tell us that one <laughs> so anyway the point is those ones make sense only in non dualism those are the mantras the texts by which non dualist monks are initiated in the himalayas in 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 shankaracharya's mathas in the monasteries established by shankaracharya not in other lineages and they will ask you in the, if you are a monk like this they will ask you in the himalayas there are there's monastic police <laughs> you won't know but monks know they will check your id and they will ask you they'll, they'll tell you the first part of of one of those texts and you have to complete it and they'll immediately know which particular order you belong to or you don't so technically there is there is no doubt about it if you look at the the process of taking monastic initiation and the actual vows taken by us they belong very clearly to uh, shankara's orders of non dualistic monks and how did that happen that happened because uh, swami abhedananda he had uh, met one of those monks and he had taken down those mantras from him. he had he had noted it down and when sri ramak when swami vivekananda was ready to formally initiate uh, all already the blessings of monasticism had been given to these young disciples by sri ramakrishna who had given them the ochre robe and uh, it was in fact on this day oh that's very nice coincidence that we are talking about it on christmas on christmas eve actually all the the 12 young disciples of sri ramakrishna after sri ramakrishna's passing away had gone to the little village of artpur which is in bengal uh, somewhat near calcutta actually but it's a it's a small village even now it's a small village it was the birthplace of baburam who later became swami premananda and baburam's mother who was very devoted to sri ramakrishna she invited the young boys to come and stay in their ancestral home in that village that winter december last week 1886 and uh, that night they didn't know it was christmas eve they sat around they lit a fire and they sat around and that place if you go now it's all nice uh, carvings and sculpture is there which shows the whole scene and the place has been enclosed now so these young 12 young boys led by narendranath who later became vivekananda they sat around and actually even without knowing it was christmas eve somehow sitting around that fire that cold uh, december night narendranath told them about jesus christ told them about the apostles of jesus christ and told about the renunciation of the apostles and then they started thinking about we'll dedicate our lives to the pursuit of god realization and spreading the message of sri ramakrishna and they decided to become monks and they took their vows in front of that fire formally they took their vows later next month when they came back to the monastery in baranagar and they used the mantras which swami abhedananda ji had already got Uh, which were the traditional mantras of monasticism uh, which which are even now used in all the uh, monasteries of shankaracharya when the shankaracharyas today they give sanyasa the vows of monasticism to the next generation you know more, every batch of monks they use the same mantras very clearly non dualistic and finally one more point is um the holy mother 
So in in the ashram, the Advaita ashram in Mayavati, Swami Vivekananda established that for the sole purpose, express purpose of the practice of non-dualism. Now, in his last visit to that ashram, Swami Vivekananda saw a picture of Sri Ramakrishna had been installed there and was being worshipped. And Swami Vivekananda said, what? The old man has entered this place too. Remove the picture. And the monks were hurt by this. They felt hurt. Why is he asking us to remove the picture of Sri Ramakrishna? Because in every ashram, Sri Ramakrishna's picture is there and it's actually worshipped. So some, one of them wrote to the Holy Mother, to Masharada Devi, in a sort of complaining tone, and sure of her support, that we had kept the picture of Sri Ramakrishna like we do in all our ashrams. So we had kept it in Radhavita Ashram, in Mayavati, and uh, Naren, Vivekananda, he came and tell, told us to remove it. Was that right? And to his utter surprise, the Holy Mother replied. She used to dictate the reply. Holy Mother replied, um, what Naren has done is absolutely right. Your guru was non-dual reality. He said, Tomadir guru chilen Advaita. She did not say Sri Ramakrishna was a Advaitin. She said that Sri Ramakrishna was Advaita. Meaning, therefore, that he is an incarnation, non-different from Brahman, the non-dual reality. And therefore, she says, therefore, I can say, she says with, with certainty, Nishchit but I can say with certainty that you, you are Advaitins. You are non-dualists. Therefore, what Narendra has done, Naren has done is right. Who is saying it? Masharada. About removing the picture of Sri Ramakrishna. <laughs> so, that is why. Why do we claim to belong to a particular lineage? When Sri Ramakrishna, so many lineages flowed through Sri Ramakrishna. That was the special purpose of the incarnation of this age. That uh, all religions lead to the same truth. But if you ask which specific lineage do you belong to? We belong to the Advaita Vedanta lineage of Shankaracharya. Pranam Maharaj, Rama is asking if we have a mantra and we've been doing meditation for several years with the mantra, do we still need a guru to give you a mantra? No, not necessary. If you have a mantra and you're practicing it, you should go on practicing it. In fact, if you go to a guru from our order and you say that I've been practicing a mantra, and now I want to take a mantra from him, they'll generally say no. They'll generally say, keep on practicing what you are practicing. If you have got a mantra you're in, a, in a family tradition, many Hindus have family traditions, or many Hindus have been initiated by other gurus. Very good. You should go any mantra which you have been initiated by a guru. It will it is it is the mantra of God. Why will it not work? The whole point is to repeat that, practice it uh, so that the mind is concentrated. Of course, there's a whole path in that. There will be the vision of the Ishta Devata and so on. That's a, that's a big topic. Would a new mantra upset the practice of years? Yes, it could. So no need to take a new mantra at all. If you, Some people feel the need. There are any, many times when devotees have come to the gurus of our order, President Maharaj, Vice President Maharaj, and said that, uh, please give us a mantra. Although I have had this mantra, I, I was initiated in my childhood. I don't have any contact with that guru. Um, but I don't want that. I want to be initiated in the Ramakrishna Vivekananda tradition from you. Usually they say no. But then if somebody persists, either I've heard various things. This is something that you have to ask a guru. That's why I'm not a guru. I'm an Acharya. Uh, the, either the guru will tell you to keep on repeating that mantra also and gives you a new one. 
or tells you to give up the mantra in the sense that you write it. For example, I've heard in some cases, they write it on a leaf and float it down on, on the Ganga. You give it back to the Ganga and then you take up a new mantra, new Ishtadevata. Or the same guru, the new guru gives you the same mantra all over again. Yeah, so sort of reconfirming it. Ramya is asking, um, how do we know that we are doing karma yoga right? Yes. So my worldly pull will decrease and um, pull towards God will increase. Today's Gita Jayanti, correct. <laughs> That's why we are doing this. Jesus said, my father and I are one. Yes. That is how we, we will interpret it. At least in Advaita Vedanta. Um, I think we'll stop here. We've already gone beyond time. Let us see the... Somebody has raised their hand. Anandi? Namaskar, Swami. Namaskar. Um, this is not a question, it's more a comment. Um, when you would teach Bhagavad Gita, you would tell us often, Sri Ram Sudhas would say, hold God with one hand and world with the other. And when the work is done, hold God with both hands. Uh, in this difficult year, on behalf of everybody in the class, we'd like to thank you for holding our hands. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Now, so, a guru or acharya is not supposed to have any other desires, but this is allowable. That uh, This is very satisfying for the acharya to see that people are benefiting, people are inspired by the message which is being transmitted. It's not my message at all. It is a very impersonal thing. I'm transmitting something very ancient. I'm also blessed by studying it, thinking about it, and then uh, being able to transmit it. it. It's a wonderful thing. Then, has anybody else? No. Uh, Maharaj Pranam, I, I had a question, but I want to tell you about an experience. We're talking about mantra. So, uh, I, after I started listening to you, but seven, eight years, you're still in India. I got very much attracted towards Sri Ramakrishna order. I was, I was initiated before in a Shakta tradition. So, so I was very feeling, you know, a lot of unrest in my mind. So I, somebody told me to take uh, initiation again from Swami Swahananda. He was still alive. Uh, but I was still very, very disturbed about this whole thing. So I, I used to read Swami Chaitananda's books so I made an appointment with him in St. Louis and went and saw him and asked him the question. And he said, definitely not. He said, you have, you, you def, he said, he said, you have been initiated, definitely not. And what he, his advice was make your house a temple. Mm. Uh, definitely not means don't change your guru. Don't, don't change. Yeah, yeah. Don't change guru. So I just want to Important point. And our, our gurus will always say that. There's no need to uh, change your guru or Ishtadevata because the central teaching of Sri Ramakrishna is one reality alone appearing in many forms. Uh, and, in, and you practice in many ways, many names, many forms. Why do you have to change from one to the other? If you really feel the need to change, if you really feel the need to take up something new, then it's all right. Otherwise, not at all. Then anybody else? Okay. 
All right. Can I ask a question? Something? Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, the question I have is, um, how do I, uh, I'm struggling with this, how do I differentiate between a desire and a duty? Um, you know, especially in a family situation, when you have children, you're wanting them to do certain things. I'm not really able to understand whether I, that's stemming out of my desire or whether it's my response. Don't worry too much about it. <laughs> Don't worry too much about it. Uh, you, as parents, you're always well-wishers for the children. So do the best that you can. Whatever you do as a parent, it's, it is generally for the welfare of the child. And that's really part of your duty uh, as well as you can. But the duty also has... Uh, duty is very easy to do as karma yoga. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's like doing a puja. It's something that I have to do. Now I mm-hmm. mentally offer it to the Lord. Desire, you'll see very clearly that I have a personal angle in this. Mm-hmm. duty is let me do it after that the result is up to God my part was to do it my part was to say these things my part was to guide the children in these ways after that what happens is up to the Lord but if I am very com- concerned about what is happening and the ch- child should be like this and not like that that is a personal uh, desire of course Thank you. All right. I had a l- small announcement Jayant reminded me so, Jain, the talk is at 7.30 tomorrow, isn't it? No, yes, ma'am. 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard. Yes, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, Rabbi Ben Spratt, with whom you are already acquaint, acquainted. Uh, he's actually, we talked about the mystical traditions in Islam, Judaism, Christianity. In Judaism, the Kabbalah traditions, he's an expert. Uh, so, he's going to speak tomorrow at 7.30 on our, in our Vedanta Society guest lecture series. So do join us tomorrow at 7.30. Once again, happy Christmas to everybody. Namaskar and stay safe. Thank you. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Sri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu